G'day, it's Sunday, I'm Scott Gibbons and this is On The Road. So if you're ready to be on the road, I'm ready to be on the road, let's get on the road together and we're going to learn all about caravans and motorhomes and maybe some camper trailers and tents and places to go and see. We're going to explore Australia together. This is going to be fun. If you're ready, fasten the seatbelt, we're on the road. G'day, it's Sunday, it's great to be with you, it's Scott Gibbons and what a fabulous time you're going to have when you get to go to the beautiful, beautiful part of the world called Air Peninsula. Now that's Air, E-Y-R-E, Air Peninsula. And it's a fabulous thing that I was reading in goRV.com.au. And the Air Peninsula forms part of the, the eastern curve of the Great Australian Bight. That's the southernmost point. It faces the mayhem of the Southern Ocean. It's just near Port Lincoln. And, and you'll find there's millionaires there out on their boats harvesting tuna and lobster. And it's not real lobster, it's crayfish. <laughs> we don't have lobster. We call it lobster, but it's crayfish. And, and Lincoln National Park occupies all of the Juju Peninsula and it clings tenuously to the mainland while reaching into the Spencer Gulf. Spencer Gulf, amazing place. So to the west of the air is Coffin Bay Peninsula. And that forms its own national park. And it's kicking into the ocean as well with surf. Oh, surf beaches, they're fabulous to the south, and bayside coves to the north. And for the RV, you've got Lincoln National Park and Coffin Bay National Park, and they just offer, oh, what, what's termed, what's the word for it? Unparalleled, if you like, unparalleled exploring through highlights. The highlights are just sensational. So you can go diving with the cuttlefish from, from Port Augusta. You just head south along the Lincoln Highway to Wyala. So if you're into scuba or you're a skin diver or whatever, and in the area between well, May and August, you can dive with the giant cuttlefish. It's a world-renowned thing. It's called the Wyala Aggregation. The Wyala Aggregation. So you can dive with the cuttlefish. Just That would be sensational. So you can snorkel with the cuttlefish too on your own off Black Point, or you can join a dive tour in False Bay, False Bay, F-A-L-S-E, as in False, <laughs> False Bay. So there's two RV parks, and there's also a free camping, and there's cheap camping along the foreshore of Point Lowly and Fitzgerald Bay. When you get your map out and have a look at this, you'll see where all of these spots are. But it's truly, truly an experience that you just won't forget. So it's a 270-kilometre drive south, and it offers a number of seaside villages. and So you can base yourself if you want to in Port Lincoln. And you make the, the most sense for exploring the southern tip. There are several caravan parks to choose from. And a few of them are by the water. But if you're under canvas, if, you, if you're tenting it, then you can expect plenty of wind. So the, the wind does get up down there. So, and that's always exciting. <laughs> so there's a visitor information centre that's in Adelaide Place. So that can give you advice on everything you'll need, including diving. If you want to, you can go diving with the great white sharks. Forget the cuttlefish, go with the great white sharks. What a good story that would be when you're doing beer o'clock. <laughs> so you can explore Lincoln National Park. It's a must. So if you've got a tent or a camper trailer, the Memory Cove Campground, it offers beautiful, beautiful solitude. And the first stop should be at the Information Centre. Memory Cove, you've got Memory Cove there. That's accessed by unsealed track so that's if you've got a four-wheel drive or maybe an all-wheel drive but preferably four-wheel drive then you can elect a key to enter the wilderness area there's only five small campsites which have to be booked in advance and if time and the weather allow so it's a nice spot for a night or two if you get to do that that would be wonderful so you can pick up a self-guided drive brochure and any other information available on the lincoln national park so the self-guided brochure which corresponds to a number of posts pointing out flora and fauna and historical facts. And at about 26k, there's a short track with a turnaround to Jujou Bay, which is J-U-S-S-I-E-U. So there's so many ways of pronouncing that one. I don't know that anyone gets it right, but it's Jujou Bay and Curta Rocks Lookout. And, and then you can use your binoculars to watch the seabirds, of course, and the marine mammals around the rocky isles below. And there's another track to the lookout, and that's got parking, and again, it's got to turn around at about the 33-kilometre mark, and it's an old driving track down. It's now about a three-hour return hike to the West Point Cliffs, and the hike's best done if you've got a, a base camp at Memory Cove. So put that in your memory. <laughs> put your base camp at Memory Cove. Now, the Williams Island lookout track... That's at 37 kilometres, and on a clear day you can see 
Williams and a number of other offshore islands. And, and the Cape Catastrophe Lookout is at the 30k mark and the Memory Cove Day Use Area and Campground is at, that's at the 42k mark. So be sure to take the beach walking track to the Memorial Tablet. Now that was erected, oh, by an amazing man, Matthew Flinders. Matthew Flinders. If ever you want to read about a superstar, you go and read about Matthew Flinders. Whoa, what a guy. 1802. So that pays tribute to eight of his crew members who drowned when their cuddy capsized in a search for fresh water, which was ordered by Flinders. So he was devastated by the event. He gave Cape Catastrophe its name. He also named eight offshore islands for the men who perished there. So, wow, that's better than a headstone, isn't it? Hey, you've got your own little island, but what a way to pay for it. About 30 metres to the right, there's a rocky outcrop, and that's used by whalers as a noteboard to leave messages for other boats. So after a good look around or a night of camping, backtrack to 34K, turn right, and you go down to Cape Donington. And then the Air Peninsula is Cape Donington. It's an unsealed road, but it's easy. And the highlights are really pretty beaches along the northern shores and the cliffs. They're just standing guard over the whole eastern coast. It's very, very pretty with super, super walking tracks, numerous walking tracks and they branch off in all directions and there's a number of campgrounds and some of the facilities some dot the shoreline it's at 10k from the turn off is a seven kilometer road on the right which heads to taylor's landing again with a campground you've got a boat ramp there and views out to the same islands named by flinders and if you want to you can watch for the migrating southern right whales if you're down there between june to october so june to october you can go whale watching there and you'll see the southern right whales doing their thing now around about 12k 12k is a 6k road on the left to Surfleet cove and the campground near the water again and a four-wheel drive only track follows at 14k with a left to the inner shores of Spalding cove and a 15k is another four-wheel drive track on the right to mclaren point with secluded bush camp there's so much to do so much to do september beach cape donington itself is is wonderful you've got the the lighthouse there that still serves to guide ships today which make their way through the network of islands and the roofs into the spencer gulf so you've got a, a bush camps you've got the lot and then you've got whalers way which is another drive from port lincoln on the air peninsula that's whalers way that's via the village of sleaford i'm telling you the views the views and the blue the blue waters the blue sky and and they're just divided by this little ripple of white it's just amazing so you can pick up again a permit and a key from the information center and you can count on at least a couple of hours just to do the 14 kilometers <laughs> that's good so stock up with your supplies in port lincoln visit the information center again get your brochures get the advice on coffin bay national park head west to the flinders highway and and you'll have more fun with your four-wheel drive again so you'll have more fun again so you can pick up a tide table at the beach coma deli plan a drive to Gunya Beach on a low tide and the, the drive to the western end of the park involves traversing Seven Mile Beach up and back. So you've got to time these for about three hours either side of a low tide. It gives you about six hours to explore the northwest end of the park. Or if you want to, you can camp for the night and do various other things. So it's all there for you. You've just got to you just got to do it. It's there for you. You just gotta do it and have fun. So <coughs> pardon me, you've got you've got it all. More to do, more and more to do. So uh, if you're a less experienced four-wheel driver, it, it's you do just as well uh, to do a few kilometres past the gun you turn off with the Temple Tone you look out on your right. And then there's a walking track there. There's a four-wheel drive track to a boat ramp, which enters on the right. And then the Golden Island Lookout and the car park is at 11K. And you've got Yangi Bay as well. That's wonderful. You've got Lake Damascus. It's just, if you're going to do it, Air Peninsula, you've got to do it. And if you're going to do it, then you're going to see some beautiful blue, a beautiful blue. And if you're going to see blue, then you might as well have True Blue by John Williamson. What about a little bit of John Williamson? I think you'll enjoy that. Hey, True Blue. Because when you get down there, that's what you're going to see is blue sky, blue water. If the weather's right, oh, you're in for a sensational time. Here's John Williamson. Hey, True Blue. Good on you. This is Scott Gibbons. Hey, we're on the road together. And isn't this fun? I'm enjoying it. True blue, don't say you've gone. 
Say you've knocked off for a smoker And you'll be back later on Hey, true blue Hey, true blue Give it to me straight Face to face Are you really disappearing? Just another dying race Hey, true blue Is it me and you? Is it mom and dad? Is it a cockatoo? Is it standing by your mate when he's in a fight? Or will she be right? True blue I'm asking you Hey true blue Can you bear the load Will you tie it up with wire Just to keep the show on the road Hey true Is your heart still there? If they sell us out like sponge cake Do you really care? Hey, true blue True blue Is it me? so good to be with you you know some of the things that we get talked about or we get to talk about quite often is gvm and things now there's a, a really good article out in unsealed4x4.com.au unsealed4x4.com.au and it's written by robert pepper it's a really interesting article and he says he starts it off with houston we have a payload problem which is a pretty funny headline and he says let's start with a definition the payload is the difference between the vehicle's GVM, which is the gross vehicle mass, and its unladen weight, which is called the tear or curb weight. They're a little bit different, but basically they're the same thing. It's the unladen weight. So the difference between the GVM, the gross vehicle mass, and the unladen weight is the payload. So say you've got a vehicle that's that's got a 3,000 kilogram GVM, and the vehicle weighs 2,000 kilograms, so you've got a payload of a thousand kilograms. But payloads for touring four-wheel drives average somewhere around about the 600 to 800 kilogram for wagons and about 800 to 1,000 kilograms for utes or pickups. 
Now, that varies on the specification of the specific vehicle. So, as an example, a Land Cruiser 200 GXL petrol has a tear weight, an unladen weight, of 2585K, whereas a Sahara turbo diesel is 2705. So, the Sahara being heavier, you lose about 120 kilograms of what you can carry compared to the petrol. So, as he says, as a general rule, the diesel engine vehicles, and if you've got an automatic transmission, uh, then they've got more likely to have more luxury fittings in them, so it's going to be heavier than the petrol-powered manual. So, you know, going into a luxury spec as against a base spec, it's going to be different. And he also points out that with the hybrids coming in, then it's it's going to be, the hybrids are likely to be heavier than the diesels anyway. So you can have maybe a thousand, kilo, a thousand kilograms of payload, and that sounds a lot, but it, it disappears very very quickly once you start adding your things on it because at that stage you don't have a full tank of fuel you don't have tow bar you don't have mats you don't have all the other little things that add up so for instance that land cruiser we we're talking about and it's a very capable vehicle i've got one it's got a tear weight of 2705 whereas as we said the basic one has 2635 so and and then the gxl is even lighter at 2585 so if you work through the example of using the 720 kilogram payload of a Land Cruiser 200 turbo diesel GXL, the average weight for the adult male is 86 kilograms and the adult female is 71 kilograms average. So just those two people, you've got 162 kilograms. Then you've got to allow for clothes on top of that. If you've got a couple of kids going with you, they rate them as being two-thirds of, of the adult weight. So that's another 107 kilograms. So already you're at nearly 270 kilograms of weight, which is over a third of your payload. And all you've done is put two adults in and two kids. So that's pretty good. <laughs> that's a lot, of, a lot of weight. Now you add, say, 30 kilograms for your fridge and its contents and another 30 kilograms for water and 10 kilograms for your cooking gear. 20 for your other food, uh, and then all of a sudden you're at about 50% of your payload is gone. Then you add your bedding and your tent, your chairs, your table, your personal bags, all the things that you'd normally take with you, and you're running that at about 110. So at that point, you've used about 65% of your payload. You've got roughly 251 kilograms left. So if your four-wheel drive is stock standard, Almost everything you would do to kit it out, so if you add a bull bar and a winch and a roof rack, and um, in some vehicles you'll add a dual battery, uh, wiring, your cargo barrier, your drawers, then that's going to be around about another 170, 175 thereabouts of kilograms. So you're down to about 90% of, you used about 90% of your payload. So you've got about 76 left, and they haven't accounted at that time if you've used taller or heavier tyres, or aftermarket suspension, which is heavier than the stock suspension. You haven't allowed for your UHF radio, your driving lights, your long-range fuel tank, the extra fuel that goes into your long-range fuel tank, your underbody protection, your heavy-duty interior mats, the weight of your recovery gear, your, recovery gear your, your traction ramps, your shackles, your straps, your snatch blocks, your tools, your jack plates, your jumper leads, spare parts, your spare fluids, your air compression, your personal electronics. By the way, if you're trying to save weight, then you take a bog out with you because bog out is very, very light, let me tell you. But so with all of that, you've used a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot of weight. So what he's suggesting is that a lot of the things that we take with us, you don't have to take with you. And, and still at that, you haven't allowed for any beer or wine. You haven't allowed for any uh, dual-wheel carriers, things like that. So, you know, his suggestion is that a lot of vehicles are going out each weekend and they are just exceeding the payload. And if you're exceeding the payload, then you might be uninsured. Just might be uninsured. Good possibility. So, but the problem is fixable and it's simple. So you just don't have to take <laughs> as much stuff with you. And maybe, maybe that's something to consider. Like, he's suggesting you, you don't need to take, necessarily, a 90-litre fridge with you. Maybe. So, things like that. And, and it, he's done a lot of driving. He's taken 
standard four-wheel drives across the Simpson Desert, things like that. So just allow that you don't need maybe 15 driving lights. You don't need all the extra metal gear. Things don't have to be as heavy as they are. So there's something to consider. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. So the other thing that he allows for is that you can get a GVM upgrade. So you can take your Land Cruiser, say, from 3,300 kilograms up to 3,580. So you've got a bit more there, but then you've still got to balance your load accordingly. You've got to balance your load accordingly. So what he's saying is if you want all that heavy gear, then, yeah, get the GVM or consider getting a light truck, you know, something like a Canter, something like a, an Aveco Daily, something like that. So there you go. There's something for you to allow for. But that's funny, isn't it? It's funny how quickly we can add things up as to being heavy. So your fuel, if you're carrying extra fuel, then one extra litre of fuel is basically a kilogram. Then bearing in mind that a Land Cruiser is a seven-passenger vehicle in many cases. So if, you, if you're carrying seven passengers, then they've got this extra body weight. But then you don't have the big boot then to put all your other gear in. I, I know I took the rear seats out of mine. So it, it just gave me the extra storage area that I wanted. Um, larger tyres weigh more. If you've got a lot of water on board, that weighs more. So, you know, you've got bull bars or winches or um, your turfer, uh, your rear bar. <coughs> Pardon me. Your, your recovery equipment, your second battery, your alloy tray, your suspension shocks. All your camping gears <laughs> can make a big difference. So the thing to do is go and do a little audit on all the stuff you take away and just have a little review when was the last time you think you might have needed it. Do, like, do you need it? Is it just something pretty? Is it something to impress somebody? If it's your recovery kit, hey, you've got to take that along. And you do need a fridge and you do need plenty of water and you do need your fuel and you do need your passengers. So you work out what you can do. I guess the best thing to do is to have a song, and that song will be Out of Mind, Out of Sight. That's by the Models. It was their only number one. So here's the Models, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. That's probably the way we pack our cars, isn't it? Here we go.
Ah, oh, yeah, that was the models. Can you believe that was their only number one? Just phenomenal. Only number one. Now, when we go on Convoy, you know that you've got a couple of four-wheel drives. You've got you and somebody else, and maybe some more and some more and some more. Maybe you've got 10 vehicles that are going out. And one of the things you've got to work on is the Convoy etiquette. Convoy etiquette. Now, Mr4x4.com.au, they've got a really good article, and it, and it is about Convoy etiquette. One of the things that I've always found is whoever is the leader, whoever's put the trip together, is the one who decides the rules. That's the the way that I've always worked it. Whoever puts a trip together is the one that decides the rules. Now, it's one of those things we often don't talk about until we're in convoy, and then you find out that everyone's got a, a different idea of how things should be done, and you can have things go a little bit sour pretty quickly. So someone wants to pull up for lunch early, and someone doesn't want to pull up for lunch early, and all the things, so you're hill climbing, and someone's bull bars just about touching somebody else. So what you've got to do is work out the rules up front about so that the frustrations don't occur. People will listen as long as the ground rules are put in place. So firstly, most important, <coughs> pardon me, firstly, this smoke, it's still there, have a way of communicating. So you've got to be able to talk to all the other vehicles in the fleet. You've got to be able to talk. So whether it's one or two, or whether it's five or six or ten or whatever it be, you've got to have a way of, of communicating. So that's where you've got to have everyone. It's got to be a rule. No one comes if they don't have UHF. You've got to have UHF if they're going to come. So then you're fine. Everything's fine. If someone doesn't come with a UHF, maybe you stick them in the middle of the group or something, but I would prefer that everyone has UHF so that if anything happens... They're, they're all able to tell you what's happening. Now, you've then got to choose what we term tail end Charlie. That's the one that's the very last vehicle. And they've got to have a strong enough radio to pick everybody up all the way through. And that's important. That's important because it's also true for the leader because the leader has to radio back, <coughs> pardon me, radio back to any oncoming vehicles and how many there are. And you've got to be able to do that so that everyone stays safe. And you've got to have a leader, you've got to have a person on point. So generally, whoever organises the trip, as I say, is the one that has the best idea. So they get up front of the convoy, they dictate the speed, and they're generally the one with the most responsibility. They've got the navigation to do, they've got the communication sorted, and they're the one that you can blame if everyone gets lost. So <laughs> you've got to sort that out. Now, you tell in Charlie. That's the last one in the convoy, as we said. Now, they'll need to have communications, of course, and they're the person the leader can contact to make sure that everyone else... So you have the leader and you have Tail and Charlie, and everyone else is in the middle, if you like. And, and the Tail and Charlie is the one that has to do the sweep, if you will, to make sure that all the cars have gone through and followed the correct route. <clears throat> Pardon me. So you've got to mark your corners. Now, one of the things to do in marking corner, if you're coming up to a corner then the vehicle in front stops at that corner, puts their blinker on and waits until the car behind also puts their blinker on, flashes their headlights so that you know that they've seen you, then the car in front can turn and continue on. But everyone knows where that corner is because when we get out in the bush, some of those corners can, you know, they all look the same. They all look the same. So if somebody stays... Yeah, this is the way the Toyota Land Cruiser Club teaches everybody. You've got to stop at the corner, put your blinker on, wait until the next vehicle acknowledges that they've seen you, the car in front has seen the car behind, the car behind has seen the car in front, and knows where they're turning. Very, very good. Very good. <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry about the, the little coughing there. It's just not good for you. So that's important. Now, then you've got to make sure that, especially if, you, if a car has to reverse back, that there's enough room. So you've got to have room between the fleet. You can't have everyone jamming up, so you've got to leave that room. Now, that, that rings true not just for going along straight, but for water crossings as well, for muddy holes. It, it's better to have just one vehicle stuck rather than having two or three stuck. So if someone's going to get stuck, it's easy to recover one because the others are on solid ground. So if you're halfway across a crossing and the vehicle in front gets stuck and stops, that means that you have to stop too if you haven't waited. So Things like river crossings, things like steep hills, you know, give people plenty of room. Let them complete and then and then do it. Now, if you're in a transport stage and you're barreling down, say, 
the Peninsula Development Road, then you've got to back off a touch. Back off. This means that you'll, it'll keep your vehicle clear of dust. It also stops your engine and your cab sucking in a gut full of dust. And don't we know about that? So you don't do that. So whoever is in front of you, you can you know where they are. But safety, safety, especially in group travel, is so so important. So it's it's important, very very important that everyone follows the plan and you don't stick on anyone's bumper you don't get too close because in dust it's very hard to see the car in front next thing is you've got to make sure that you shut the gate so the lead vehicle opens the gate so if there's a gate to be opened the lead vehicle opens it and then waits until the next car comes through and they're aware that that gate is open so you've called the fact that the gate has been opened by your group then it goes all the way down the line and tail in Charlie if if should shut the gate. But if there's a big enough gap between other cars and shut the gate in between those cars because you've got to make sure that you look after the farmer whose gate it is because he's letting you go over uh, his, his property, which is lovely. Now, the other thing to do is, of course, and this is just so sensible, you've got to call the obstacles and oncoming traffic. So... If, if you see an obstacle, like a dust hole or something, and it's got a, 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 a lip on it and you've got to go 20 metres wide of it, then you call that through to the car behind. Don't, don't sort of sit around and hope that they're going to fall into it. If you're falling into it, call it through so that nobody else blows their alignment or even blows a tyre. So that's very important for causeways or rocks or boulders on the road fallen trees, all the things so that everyone's aware, so that, you know, they can relax a little bit more. So announce the things. Now, if there's an oncoming vehicle coming or more, then you've got to announce that. So it's oncoming and and you tell them what is the front car. So you know how many cars is there might be four vehicles that are coming through. So the first one's a white Land Cruiser. The last one's a Silver Triton. So you call that through so that everyone knows there's four vehicles that are oncoming. Now, you do that on the dirt sections. You do that on the dirt because on the black, we know that we've got to keep on the left-hand side of the road in Australia anyway, so that's what we do. And importantly, impo I mention that because the show goes overseas. So importantly, everyone knows what is the last vehicle that they've got to keep aware of. That's important. And the next thing is you've got to have some fun. You've got to have some fun. So it, that's what Convoy is all about. You can have a bit of a yarn. You're not, you're not blocking up the radio channel too much. You're just doing all the good things. And it's summertime. We've, we've had so much fire. We've had so much smoke. And now some of it because of the heroes in, and all the volunteers that have helped put those fires out. And there's still plenty that are going. But those heroes that have made such a difference, we've got to look after them. And we've got to get back out to those country towns and start spending money. We talked about that and we're going to keep on talking about that because that's what we've got to do. So, you know, that little bit of money that we're going to spend at the pub or whatever in Sydney, just put it aside and spend it when you go out of town. And you don't have to get everything in bargain basement. So if you go into the supermarket, don't compare it against Sydney prices because it's costing them more to get it. They don't sell as much. So you've got to help them. They lost all of that tourist traffic all the way through the whole summer period. So now's our time. And speaking of that, it is summertime still. It's summertime in Australia. So why don't we have in the summertime with Thirsty Merc. So Thirsty Merc, here we go. And if you've got a Merc, they can be thirsty. So in the summertime, Thirsty Merc. Here we go. Scott Gibbons here. We're on the road. We're on the road with you. It's Sunday. We're on between one and two. Love being with you. Here's Thirsty Merc in the summertime. Sweet. 
In the summertime, thirsty Merc. That has a really good sound to it, doesn't it? There's some really, really good songs out there. And we always try and play Aussie. Wherever we can, we'll play Aussie for you. It's the way it works on the show. Now, the internet's full of wonderful claims. And again, this came from mr4by4.com.au. But the internet is full of wonderful claims about throttle controllers giving you what they term is free power. Here's a few things you might want to know about throttle controllers. In a word, no throttle controller does, it doesn't give you free horsepower. It just doesn't happen. It's despite what you may read on social media, and it might be what you're getting on the soapbox companies that are telling you all about things, but some of them might have questionable marketing ethics. So, But it does change how your engine control unit, which is your ECU, your engine control unit, it reads input from your accelerator pedal and the speed at which the throttle input is applied to the engine. So most controllers have various settings from a rather sedate economy mode to an aggressive sports or power mode. Now, this lets you dial the controller into a specific task that you're understanding with your four-wheel drive. So there are some of them, some on the market, such as the iDrive, that have an automatic mode in which the controller will adjust settings based on how heavy you are on the go pedal. So the iDrive, it will adjust the settings. But how they generally work is to understand how a, a throttle controller works. Well, you need to know how the ECU sees the signal input from the accelerator pedal. So with modern fly-by-wire accelerator control, a signal voltage is sent from the pedal box transducer to the ECU. And the ECU then interprets the signal and more voltage to the ECU from the pedal is read as more throttle input. So the pedal also sends the signal as a ramp-up signal in that if you quickly push the accelerator to the floor, the pedal won't send 100% throttle straight away. The signal ramps up to 100% over a second or two, which takes... Uh, oh, a little bit of any jerkiness, if you will, out of the acceleration profile. So an aftermarket throttle controller module plugs in between your pedal and the ECU and it manipulates the signal sent to the ECU. So there's no modification to the mapping of the ECU, just the speed and the amount of input that the ECU receives from the pedal transducer. So what it's saying really is that it, it, it will adjust the speed, if you will, of, of the input. So the main difference, and this is what it means to you, the main difference you'll notice from the addition of a throttle controller is that acceleration will happen sooner 
and more aggressively. So dependent on the controller, it can also make your pedal input range smaller. So that's not to say that it's physically quicker, it's just that the signal is sent very near the speed of sound regardless. So the pedal position is seen by the ECU as 100% near instantaneously as opposed to ramping up over time. So if you don't have one of these and you're pressing your go pedal, then your speed ramps up. You know what it's like. You start off and, and your speed ramps up. With the ECU, it's it's pretty quick. <laughs> you, you touch it, it's go time. I, I tried one and <laughs> it is go time. Now, I do a lot of city driving as well, so... I didn't want it. They've, they've got them now where you can adjust the power a lot more easier. So, for example, a standard 10% pedal input will give you 10% throttle signal to the ECU. Now, if you add a throttle controller, depending upon the profile set, it can send a message to the ECU of 30% when you've only got 10% down on the throttle. So you put your 10% your down on the throttle, but the message going through is, hey, my throttle's down 30%, so it'll give you 30% signal to the ECU straight away. And so as opposed to smoothing up over the ramp time, for a driver's perspective, this power mode active, it makes your four-wheel drive just feel so much quicker and more responsive than it did since you added the controller. So that's really what it does. It just gives the signal so much quicker as they say ramping up like the speed of sound so the advantages the advantages are where the throttle controller shine is that you sh should you be towing a heavy load then you'll get up and moving so much quicker now that improvement in the acceleration profile is what some people mistakenly call extra horsepower it's not extra horsepower so inversely should you be out four-wheel driving through some rather bumpy or rutted out tracks then you can dial the controller down so if you inadvertently hit the accelerator or you mash the accelerator, the input won't be nearly as aggressive and induce uh, that jerk. So another excellent use for the economy settings is in soft sand. So it'll let you accelerate without spinning the wheel so you can stay up on top of the soft stuff instead of spinning and sinking into it. Now, that's good. That's good. Now, there's some disadvantages. So one of the most significant disadvantages with a throttle controller is on some models, you effectively lose accelerator pedal travel at the top end. So as an example, if, if you have a controller at the maximum power, once you've hit 50% pedal, then your ECU is actually reading 100%. So if you keep on pushing the pedal down past that 50%, you're not really going to get much more out of it. It's going to make no appreciable difference. So... There's also the slight inconvenience of having to find a place to mount the control box so that you've got easy access to it and while still being able to see the display because that's really important. You've got to do that. Now, this usually means maybe, maybe, drilling holes in your dash or taking a chance with double-sided tape. And some units have now got Bluetooth connectivity. So the module is hidden beneath or behind the dash and you can control it via your smart device. However, this then makes changing settings on the fly, technically illegal, because you can't touch your phone while you're driving. Cannot touch your phone while you're driving, even if it's not for using it as a phone. So, and if you just want to use it to change songs or whatever, no, that's illegal, and you can, you can lose a lot of points and a lot of money. So, the question is, do you need one? Well, you, you can replace the adage about the length of string. <laughs> a lot of folks who own them will tell you, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They make such a, a vast difference in the acceleration profile and control. And they do. But some vehicle manufacturers have now cottoned onto the benefits and, they can, and the control that the owners want from their four-wheel drives. So many new vehicles now come with an economy and a power mode button. So regardless of being automatic or manual, that does virtually the same thing, so with just the two modes. So as opposed to some throttle controllers that have maybe upwards of nine settings. So what do you look for? Well, the answer is that it's horses for courses. So most of these cost around about the $300 mark, making it a you know, modest investment for a more responsive engine. But before you rush out to buy one, check to see if your vehicle has got that economy power button and see if it makes enough of a difference in different driving conditions. So should you go looking for a controller, then make sure 
that you get the information on exactly how it works and what settings it features and and ask if you can trial the module and take it, say, for a 10-minute drive around the block to see precisely how it works. Now, that might mean that you need to leave your credit card with them or something like that so that they know that you're coming back. You might need to pay for it in advance, but they hold the docker. And, and how it affects your vehicle, because they are super quick to install. Super, super quick to install. So, But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's always a thing, isn't there? You've got to steer clear of the cheap knockoffs. So there's... Maybe, maybe using eBay as a, as a measuring stick, you might find some cheap knockoffs on eBay. Uh, one company was selling cheap throttle controllers and they were accused of sending a 100% throttle signal to the ECU regardless of where your pedal was. So as soon as you touched your pedal, you got 100% through. And they were, fortunately, they were quickly removed from the market and they were recalled. And Because safety's always got to come first. It's not just you, it's not just your vehicle, it's your family. So... You know, sometimes taking the cheap way out can be very, very expensive. Take the cheap way out can be very expensive. I know when I tried it, I, it was just phenomenal. Like, he plunged it straight onto my car. I took it for a run. Wow. <laughs> but it scared me because, again, I do a lot of city driving. And when you're close up behind another car in the city, if you touch your accelerator just that little bit and the thing goes, way, wacko, let's go. Uh, gee, you know, that can cause a problem. So, as I say, they now have an adjustment. So, that's good. That's good. So, we're talking about cars. We're talking about go. Why don't we have Jump In My Car by Ted Mulry? You might like this. I think we played it some weeks ago. But Jump In My Car, Ted Mulry, gang, you will love this. And then I bet you just be singing it for the rest of the day. Here we go. Hey, this is Sunday. I'm Scott Gibbons. You're on the road. We're on the road together. We love being with you. So, Jump In My Car, Ted Mulry, gang, you enjoy that. Jump in my car I wanna take you home mm, Jump in my car It's too far to walk on your own
Hey, it's Scott Gibbons. We're back with you. You're on the road. We're on the road together. Gee, it's Sunday. We've got to be on the road, haven't we? And it's now summer. We know it's summer, but winter's coming. And what do we do in winter? We head north generally, don't we? We head as far north as you want to go. And if you're going to go north, you might as well go up, maybe up towards Townsville region. And if you get there, within an hour's drive of Townsville, you'll go to Ingham. Now, Ingham's in the Hinchinbrook region, and it's there that you'll find an amazing natural paradise and a tranquil region. It's really, really pretty. You'll need nothing more for the thirst of adventure than an appetite because (laughs) Ingham has got an amazing uh, Italian culture. So more than half of of Ingham's population is, is of Italian descent. So... It doesn't come as a surprise that the township's known as Little Italy. And you can take a bite out of the Italian local culture and enjoy everything from homemade pasta to traditional antipasto. And you'll take time to walk off your food coma, if you wish, with a stroll through the Mercer Lane, which is a, a beautiful local art project. It tells the stories and the history of Ingham. And, and Townsville's an amazing place, like fabulous place, fabulous place. So you've got the perfect catch if you like fresh food and what's fresher than straight from the ocean. So the Hingenbrook region, it's renowned for its incredible fishing. So you stay right near the perfect catch at one of Hingenbrook's neighbouring fishing communities of Lucinda or Forest Beach or even Taylor's Beach. And for something extra special, you can get the thrill of fishing with Hingenbrook adventures. So that might be good. If you haven't gone out on an adventure fishing trip, that might be terrific. And if you want to, if you love waterfalls, well, it it is waterfall territory. So it's the perfect way to cool off and you rest your weary bones after all that fishing and dancing and all that food. So you'll start chasing the waterfalls. You've got Paluma National Park and Jarama Falls, and that's a, a nice little intro, if you will, to the main event, which is the mighty Wallaman Falls. You've got a jaw drop, and it's it's phenomenal to see. It's 268 metre single drop waterfall. 268. It's the largest in Australia. So it's an amazing view. And then if you pack your walking shoes, your walking shoes, and, and uh, you're prepared to get wet, then that would just be a wonderful thing to do. So you can eat all day, you can dance all night, and, and then you've got the annual Australian Italian Festival, so you can check that out too. So you've got wine and cuisine and music and culture, and it's just going to be wonderful for you. So that's if you're heading up north and you're heading to Townsville Way, then you might as well do that. If you're doing that as well, you might as well go to Douglas Hills, and that's about, uh, you can walk, you can do some wandering around. Uh, Douglas Hills, it's about a three and a half kilometre return, takes about an hour's walk. Uh, James Cook University, it's got a walking track known as JCU Stairs, as in James Cook University, so JCU Stairs. It's made up of 493 (laughs) well-maintained stairs. And if you're brave enough, then the steps, uh, they span beautiful, beautiful bushland. And you'll be, um, the views that you're going to get, it's easy to say stunning, but they are stunning. So when you get to the summit, not only will you take your breath, but the view will take your breath away. So you've got Mount Stewart Foothills, you've got James Cook University, you've got Castle Hill. I think up there they call it Castle Hill. Um, and then you've got Townsville. So I've been there. I've been a, uh, and I did a shoot up there for um, for a company. We did a we did a, a shoot, and we, uh, the Sunday that we were there was Bathurst. Oh, not Bathurst Day. It was V8 Supercars Day. So we were up on Castle Hill, and you could see the V8 Supercars. It was quite incredible. So you've got free parking for the trail. That's located behind the JCU Western Campus on Endeavour Drive, and you'll find signage, which will indicate how to get to the walks, and that takes about. Oh, 10 minutes to do that and then once you reach the first peak the path just continues to a higher peak called top summit and and there are multiple trails to top summit so take care some of the trails are a little bit loose gravel some have got little washouts but the top summit you just got to take a moment sit down just and there are seats there so you can sit down <laughs> and you will take in there's a lovely little breeze which you might enjoy as well and you could just marvel at the views of townsville and james cook university so Keep in mind, though, that Townsville, the Rock Wheelers Mountain Bike Club, they hold tenure over the Douglas Mountains, so the, the bike reserve there is the primary pur- purpose of, of mountain biking, and they've got the right of way. So uh, don't walk on the downhill-only tracks and, and respect all the signage, and, and there's a dog-friendly area there as well, but your dogs have got to stay on leash. But Castle Hill or Castle Hill, that's about a four to five kilometre return, depending on the route that you take. It's about a one to two hour return. 
and that depends upon your fitness and how many stops you make to, again, <laughs> take in the view. I, I think if you stop every 100 metres and take in the view, that's a good idea. So uh, Castle Hill, Castle Hill, whichever way you want to do it, depends on how, which, which side of the border you're from. It's a heritage-listed lone monolithic pink granite giant. It's, it's just the most fabulous outdoor fitness destination. You'll see people there who are just super, super fit. So some will be running up, some will be walking up. Uh, you've got Hell's Staircase there, so <laughs> that will check your fitness level out if you want to do that one. And there, there could be as many as 15 official trails to its summit. So it's good. It's good. So after you work up the hill, then you've got some appetite, no doubt. So you've got to keep the healthy habit going. So you've got there's grilled healthy burgers there. There's absolute cravings, Tide Cafe, Sea Bar, Squeeze Me, Raw Energy. There's also the brewery, the quarter deck, the bakehouse on air. There's Otto's Fresh Food Market. There's Shore & Co. There's Rambutan. So there's lots to do up there. So if you, if you get to Townsville, you will you will really enjoy it. You'll have a lot of fun. And, and the waterfalls, you'll love the waterfalls. It's just a terrific place to go. And of course, if you keep on going, then uh, you've got the Great Barrier Reef up there as well. And that's Great Barrier Reef system. If you haven't seen the Great Barrier Reef, if you haven't been out to it, you don't know how blessed we are in Australia. You just don't know. It is just amazing. It's nature's greatest gift to the world. It's, and it's right on the doorstep. So Townsville in North Queensland, it, it's the gateway to the Great Barrier Reef. So it's just majestic. It's an underwater playground. It, they call it a mosaic of colour, and it is. And, it, and it's a living treasure. It's alive. It's a living treasure. You'll, and you can get up close, you can get up personal, you can take tours out there. So if you're going to take a tour, get, get on one of the boats and go out there and you will just... But there's a museum of underwater art out there. Uh, it's just... I, I'm, and if you've got kids, you, you, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. But if you're a diver or a snorkeler, if you're just a swimmer, you know, put on a, a face mask and a snorkel and just go out and see how beautiful it is. It's just, it's, it's breathtaking. It is breathtaking, but make sure you're wearing your snorkel when you take your breath. <laughs> and then if you want to, so that Museum of Underwater Art that I mentioned, that's there. You've got Palm Island, Magnetic Island. If you haven't done Magnetic Island, it's, it's, it's just a, a, a super, super place. It, it's... You've got um, its significance in, in the scientific research of the Great Barrier Reef is particularly around the coral spawning. So if you haven't been to Magnetic Island, you'll love Magnetic Island. It, it is lovely. And I, I know when I was there, which was some years ago now, we hired a mini moak. I don't think they do mini moaks there now, but they do other things. If you're into eco-travel, then you can do eco-travel up there. It's, it's good. You've got cabins that you can get. You've got Orpheus Island Lodge Resort. You've got the Grand Hotel and Apartments. You've got the Bungalow Bay Koala Village. Or you can just go up there with your van or your trailer or whatever you've got, your motorhome, and you just have a good time. But you know, Magnetic Island, you've got, sea, you've got um, island sea kayaks there, Magnetic Island sea kayaks. You've got sailing that you can do, Big Mama Sailing. You've got the reef headquarters, the Great Barrier Reef Aquarium. Uh, there's the Billabong Sanctuary and the, and the Bungalow Bay Koala Village. You, you're just in for a great time. So if you're heading north, and bearing in mind, in the winter down here, uh, then the, the winter up there is just so much more glorious. So you've got locations in Townsville and in North Queensland that you've just got to go and enjoy. So if, you, if you're into getting away, if you're into seeing different stuff, if you like to have a beautiful vista, then you're going to have a good time. If you're going to have a beautiful vista, then up there you're going to be as high, high over the water as, as an eagle. So why don't we have a little bit of Daddy Cool and Eagle Rock? I think you'll enjoy that. You might as well rock along to that. Think about going to Townsville. Think about all the good times we're having. Think about how great it is to be in Australia. And we are lucky ducks. We are lucky ducks. So you enjoy that. Hey, it's Scott Gibbons here. It's Sunday. We're on the road. I hope you're having a good time. I'm having a good time being with you. Here we come. We're going to have Daddy Cool, Eagle Rock. Oh, we're stepping out 
much for listening into On The Road. Hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, then listen in again next Sunday between 1 and 2 and tell your friends to listen in. And the sponsors, you look after our sponsors because those sponsors are the ones that bring you the show. I'm Scott Gibbons. I'll see you next week between 1 and 2. 89.9 Hawkesbury Gold, the best in the West, between 1 and 2 every Sunday. We'll see you next week on the road. Mm-hmm.